This morning we are jumping into a series that will take us towards Easter. Can you believe Easter is only four weeks away? We are on, um, at least in my heart, I am in that trajectory towards the Easter weekend, which is a very pivotal time of the year uh, for the body of Christ all around the world. Easter represents uh, so, so much of who we are as followers of Jesus. Easter represents some of the core of who Christ is and the sacrifice of the cross and all that that means to humanity. And as I was thinking and praying and uh, developing thought and thinking uh, with our team together, looking at ideas of what we could do to consider the Easter story as more than just one weekend, but actually take some time over the course of the next four weeks uh, to bring you uh, some teaching that represents Passion Week. Passion Week started the Sunday before. It represents the week that leads up to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Passion Week is very significant in the Gospels. As I did a little bit of research, I recognized uh, some very unique things that I'm, I'm sure you will be uh, interested to hear this morning as I lay the foundation of what this means and why we are spending time to do this. And really the answer to why we're doing this is because so much of the Gospels actually represents this one week of Christ's life. Let's break this down for a minute just to give you some context. There are 89 chapters in the Gospels combined, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Did anybody know that? Now you do. 89 chapters. Uh, of these 89 chapters, there's only four chapters that represent the first 30 years of Jesus' life. Only four. And the other 85 represent the last three and a half years of Christ's life. Now, that's not a surprise. I'm sure many of you knew that the significant time spent in the gospel writings is Jesus' ministry years, that three and a half years. But what I found so significant, the 20, that 29 of these um, 85 chapters that are represented, there is only one week that is carried through of, in 29 chapters, and that is the Passion Week. Can you believe that? 29 of them are about that last week of Christ's life. So basically, to sum this up, one-third of the gospel is focused on one week of Christ's life. Did you know that? So this is a big deal. And I think having space carved out in our year to focus in on the significance of these writings and why it was crafted the way it was through the Holy Spirit leading and guiding these writings, I think it's important that we take more than just a few days, but actually some weeks to really intentionally give some space to this week. We can see it broken down this way. Sunday prior to the resurrection, the week prior, was Palm Sunday, or that triumphal entry into Jerusalem which is what we will focus on for a few minutes this morning. Then Monday came where Jesus cleared the temple. 
Tuesday was about the teaching on, on the Mount of Olives, a very significant teaching, in, of, of course, for Jesus. Wednesday, there's not a lot that's talked about here. There's a lot, some rest that, that Jesus took part in in Bethany. Thursday was very famous Last Supper. Then Friday was, of course, the crucifixion, Good Friday. Saturday was Jesus in the grave. That is a piece that I, I believe we are going to touch on a little bit later on in this series, that waiting and that warring chapter moment in history. And then, of course, we come to the Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, which we will celebrate a month from now. So we have some weeks to look at these topics and to bring, I believe, some very important perspective to all of us as to why the Passion Week has so much value. And spending time on these things, as I mentioned, is important because God said it was important. And he made space for it in his Gospels. Jesus gave us some of his best teachings during that week of his life. And he really wanted us to understand some very important details as Christians, as followers of Christ, before he left this earth. He was also demonstrating in that week his amazing love for humanity. That is something I believe all of us could agree with. The ultimate sacrifice that he showed us on the cross. He modeled that through that experience. So here's my hope over these weeks together as I have the privilege as well as some of our team to bring you some thought is that when we go through these weeks together, we will realize that that level of passion, that level of intentionality, that level of grace that was put on humanity by God, that we would respond to it with the same level of passion, grace, and intentionality as well towards our God. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of who he is and how much he loves us and how much he cares for all of humanity. And that is my prayer where each and every one of us will see things through a lens that brings us to a place of supernatural passion for the things of God in areas of life that maybe you have ignored, maybe you have put to the side, maybe you have avoided because it's too painful or it's just something that you haven't, thought about for years, and I believe God's going to highlight some things in our life and bring some things to the surface where we can turn our affection towards him in a way that will bring us to a place of passion, a passion that he modeled for us in his life, and most specifically in that last week of his life. Passion week, that is where we're going. John 3.16 very famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That sums it up. That is the promise that we are given by God through his son Jesus. Parted with that verse in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. While we were still sinners. How incredible is that, that verse, that promise that we are given. Even before he sent his son 
as a sacrifice. That we would receive him as Lord. Through that, he was expressing his great love to all. So here is my case for this entire series together over these weeks. So that you can come along with me and our team and all of us together on this journey. It's simply this. That the kind of passion that Jesus showed us demands passionate response. I believe that. that those are strong words, but they're words that I think God deserves from us. He deserves a passion for who he is, for the kingdom of God. He's been given, we've been given much, and therefore we give back with the very best of our lives. One of the challenges I have is at times is watching Followers of Jesus, including myself, I put my, myself in that category at times, where we don't have that level of heart and soul that God has for each of us being modeled in our life, in our actions, in our heart posture. It's a thing that often I think about, and not as a judgment, but more as a, Lord, wake us up to an understanding and to a revelation of how good you are and how much you love us, and how passionate you are about seeing us thriving and alive and full of influence and full of passion towards the things that matter. Each of us carries that opportunity. Isaac Watts, I'm sure, is a familiar name to some, maybe the older demographic in this room. He wrote a hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross on which the Prince of Glory died. Who's familiar with that hymn? Many of us in this room, I'm sure. There's a, there's a line in this hymn that says, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. This is not a new thought, but these generals of the faith so many decades and centuries ago recognized the demand of our lives as a posture and a pivot towards understanding our responsibility as followers of Jesus to be fully alive in Christ, to be full of grace and care and love for one another and love for the things that surround us, to be people that are passionate about the things of God. My prayer as your pastor is that your passion level would rise to the levels modeled in Passion Week. Is that okay to ask? Is that okay to pray and to continue my heart towards um, contending for these things for all of us as a church community? I want to read a passage of Scripture that's going to help us kind of break this down for these few minutes uh, left this morning. This passage is found in Luke chapter 19. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with that moment that led up to Palm Sunday and the, the spectacle of Jesus on the donkey or the colt walking uh, with his disciples through the streets and the amount of passion that was expressed and shown through followers of Christ. It was an interesting moment because it was only just a few days later where everything changed. And I want to zone in on that for a few minutes this morning to give us some very important foundation for our times together over these weeks 
Let's pick it up in Luke chapter 19, verse 29 up on the screen. As he, as Jesus approached Bethpage and Bethany, these were two little villages just outside of Jerusalem, within walking distance, they say about two miles away from Jerusalem. As they approached these, these places at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here to me. I need to stop there because that is actually a very profound moment. As I was looking into this and and studying and, and just embracing what is actually taking place here, you see that Jesus, very clearly, he had not seen that colt before, but he knew it was there. He had, he knew that um, it was tied up, and he knew that uh, no one had ever written this donkey before. There's something so profound about this moment because it just reminds me of how well Jesus knows you and I, and how well he models this understanding of our lives. And he goes ahead and he thinks about the details. And he thinks about you and me. And he tells us and it shows us that Jesus knows every detail in humanity. And that he is taking care of us. That he is with us. And that he is moving us in the right direction. Who can, who can say amen to that? Amen. It is so profound. Sometimes we read these things we don't realize actually how prophetic these moments are in scripture. Let's pick it up again. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. And those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt, and they put Jesus on it. Up to verse 35 there. And then the story continues where they began this parade, this procession into Jerusalem. And many people waved palm branches, which is highlighted on the screen there as our theme picture for this series. A palm branches, they were celebrating together who Jesus was. And the best part about this is that in the gospel of Matthew and John, their, their per- perspective and their per- um, their, their writings in their Gospels about this moment, they describe the Palm Sunday story with some even more detailed um, pictures of what was actually taking place in this moment. They mention uh, in, during Palm Sunday and during that moment that it was prophesied more than 400 years prior that this moment would happen. I'm sure some of you are familiar with that, but the prophecy was given and... Of this, there's only, of, there's only one of 300 prophecies that we see here that actually came true. All 300, and we're seeing one here, but all 300 that we are all through the Old Testament actually came true through the New Testament. That's a very profound, again, moment to, to relate to who Jesus is, who, who God is through his prophetic voice. And it just reminds me again of if he can be accurate about 300 prophetic um, moments in Old Testament moving into New Testament, then we should maybe pay attention to some of the prophetic in the New Testament that relates to today. Who agrees? I think it, why would he be so accurate in the beginning and not now? I think it all plays a part 
that we read in Revelations, that we read through the Gospels and through, through many of the books of the New Testament. There is prophecy that is coming to pass today that we cannot ignore. More on that uh, later this morning. Here, is, here it is in the book of Zechariah, in case you were wondering where this prophecy actually was. It says in Zechariah 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 400 years before it happened, on that Palm Sunday, it was prophesied by Zechariah. Let's continue the story here together. Luke 19, verse 36. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Some theologian scholars say that there was over a million people that were represented for this moment. They had come from all over to be a part of seeing Jesus firsthand as he walked through the streets. And not only that, but as they were, as the scripture says, the miracles that they had seen, what had just taken place prior to that was one of the last miracles of as Lazarus was raised to life. So many had witnessed that, and then word had spread about Jesus raising people from the dead. And this was the byproduct of celebration, of passion towards who is this Jesus? He must be who he says he is. Palm Sunday. So many emotions, I'm sure, were taking place in the hearts of these people. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, the scripture says. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees then in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Again, a very prophetic, very specific moment from the words of Jesus himself about, about our posture, about who we are and what our responsibility is. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I don't know about you, but in my heart, that raises this, this significant urgency to not allow the rocks to outpraise me, to not allow these things that go beyond humanity, the creation of the world, to outpraise, to outpassion my posture towards Jesus. There's a few of you that got that right in that moment. If you hear me, hear my heart on this. There is, there is a level of urgency in these scriptures that I believe God is calling us towards to be people that carry passion that is so deep within. It will be manifest in so many different ways because we are all very unique people. But the heart, it's not about the, the action or the out, outward flow of what that looks like, but it's about the heart of each of us. Where does the passion that drives us every day come from? Where, what, what is it that creates in us the desire to be more in tune with what the Spirit is saying? 
How much time and investment and energy are we giving towards God's presence in our life each day? Some of the things that I've been thinking about, even from my life, that have been so highlighted as I read and studied this passage of Scripture. No rock is going to take my place. Amen? This week I began to think about the, the battle for our worship as it pertains to this story. All of the things trying to come between you and me and our love for God. And all the other things that the enemy would love to present to us. I truly believe that there is a battle for our worship. And it was so, so interesting how, as I was preparing and praying and thinking about these thoughts this morning, that it landed on a week where we had 24 hours of prayer and worship in this house. It was almost like the Lord smacked me on the side of the head in the most gentle way and said, this is what I'm talking about. This is the posture that I have, that I desire for CLA, a posture that is so passionate about worship, passionate about heart posture, about being fully alive in Christ. We need to take the passion of Jesus and immerse ourselves in that same passion that he modeled for us to make sure that we are not those in the crowd who were, who were fickle, fickle followers, Christians that on that day were in, on the front with palm branches in their hands celebrating who Jesus was, but then only five days later were yelling, crucify him. It's so Interesting, when you put that whole story together, tens of thousands of people that were celebrating him were then asking for him and his death just five days later. I feel like all of us, including myself, could raise that level of passion for Christ in our life. Here is my case. All of us worship something. We do. Up on the screen, it's written like this. Worship is our response to what we value most. Whatever I worship becomes an obsession. Whatever I become obsessed with, I imitate. Whatever I imitate, I become. That is, that is just how humanity works. So whoever and whatever and however we are responding to the things that we value most, the result is we will become that. We will imitate what we value most in our life. Now, I stop here and I say it's okay to love things. It's okay to have a love for sport and for technology and for cryptocurrency. Anyone out there? Come talk to me after. <laughs> it is okay to be passionate about things, but they cannot, cannot, cannot take up more of your time, more of your heart, more of your thoughts than, than time spent with Jesus. Thoughts about him, about the value of who God is in our life. And I know this is so Sunday school in terms of how I'm presenting it, but the important piece is that 
there's so much truth in this statement right here. How we obsess about things will ultimately become who we are and how we manifest our lives. And the ultimate manifestation out of our life, out of our carnal lives, is modeled the character of God. That is the ultimate gift that we can give to the world, is being the hands and feet of Jesus. And the only way that we can truly carry that forward is to be obsessed and passionate about Jesus, about the things of God. What you choose to give your time, energy, passions, money, affections, and expressions to begins to shape your life. That is the bottom line. Jack Hayford, a pastor in the States in California, says it like this. I thought, found this so interesting. Worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshipped. Essentially, just a really nice way of, of saying what I have said over the last few minutes. In other words, if you don't like what you're becoming, maybe you, maybe we should all take an inventory of that which we placed on the throne of our hearts because it's something. If you don't like who you're becoming, if you don't like who you have been and how you're responding to your spouse, to your kids, to your coworkers, to your friends, if you are frustrated with who you are right now, it might not be manifest through your actions, but your heart, I, I truly believe we have to take an inventory of that which we placed on the throne of our hearts and figure out what we are worshiping, what we are spending time with, where we are investing, because ultimately that is the outflow of who we are each day. Mark 12 says this in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. I don't know about you, but when Christ says, when he says out of his own mouth, this is the most important thing, do you think we should listen? Absolutely. Out of his mouth, he says, you want to know what's most important? Hear this, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And John Ford says that God is actively looking for worshipers. It's the theme all through Scripture. He's, he's, I believe he's panning congregations and denominations and, 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 and followers of Jesus and communities of faith all over the world. He's panning through them, and he's seeking out those who are worshiping him in spirit and in truth. That's not that he is ignoring the rest of us, but he is intentionally seeking out the ones who carry a passion and a love and a heart for God that is so alive because in that, much can be accomplished. 
And I believe that's what's taking place around the world today. In fact, worshiper in the Greek is defined uh, proskuneo or something like that. I probably said I butchered it. But what that word actually means is a kiss on the hand, a picture. How many of you love dogs in this room? Anybody? This is not for cat lovers. This is just for the dog lovers. We, we bought a dog just a few months ago. Her name is Tennessee. Tenny, we call her. And she is in love with us. Uh, how many of you have met Tenny? There's a few in this room that have. The, the most kind, loving, caring, patient demeanor I've ever seen in a dog. I should have had a picture up there to give you, give you some, uh, some perspective. She's a Cavalier Spaniel Beagle mixed, but she's all Spaniel personality. Thank you, Lord. And uh, the Beagle is the hunter. The Spaniel is the lover. And she loves us. And you can already feel her energy when the car pulls up in the driveway when we come home. You can already sense it when you're walking towards the house, towards the door. She is always, always, always there to greet us. She's always there waiting for us just to sit down so that she could literally hug us around the neck. Anyone received a hug from Tenny yet? There's a few of you. This, I, it, this, it reminded me of this moment when I'm thinking about this idea of worship in the, the original Greek and the kiss on the hand, the, the love, the affection, where, where he's, she's so excited about our presence about being with us, about caring for our children, about protecting them. She's passionate. I can just feel it. If I could speak dog, it would be like, you're home, you're home, you're home. Yes, I get to be back with you. I, I know many of you can relate to that or having a lifetime, in your lifetime with a, a dog. Again, this is not for cats. This is only dogs. <laughs> Where you receive this intensity of love and care. That's what's happening. Where the crowd was trying, what they were trying to do on that day, but then just forgot about only a few days later. This absolute love that is modeled in so many different ways here on earth. I want to close this morning by giving you a few things that I believe God is looking for in the area of, of our worship. Now, just the topic of worship, we could spend weeks and weeks on this. Worship to me is a posture. It's a heart posture. It's not just singing songs, obviously. But it's our affection towards Jesus. And when I think about this passage of Scripture that talks about heart and soul and mind and strength, loving God with these things, it brings me to what he's looking for. Three things that I, I know have so much value. Number one, God wants us to worship him with our affections, with our heart and our soul. Our soul is our mind, will, and emotions. Love is not just felt on the inside, but it has to be expressed. It has to be acted out. It has to be. If I just told Devin that I love her in my heart and never showed her any affection, we would be in marriage counseling quite quickly, I'm sure. I believe that posture with Jesus, with our relationship with God, is no different. He is looking for 
an expression, an acting out of our love towards him through our posture. There is one book of the Bible that gives us all of these expressions of God's love in the most beautiful way. It's, it's the longest of all books, the book of Psalms. All through it, I picked one out, Psalms 150 says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. The word here, praise, in the Hebrew, in the original language, means hallel, which is described to celebrate, to boast, to rave, almost a, to be clamorously foolish with our lives, with our posture, to be so present with our praise. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with sounding of trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and the lyre. Praise Him with the timbrel and the dancing. Praise Him with strings and pipes. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Everything that has breath praise the Lord. I heard this story as I, as you consider this thought this morning. There's a town in the U.S. that, obviously, there's many military bases that are represented through all of America, and often there are small towns close by. One specific had a community that was right over top, or right, excuse me, right underneath of where these fighter jets would fly to land at the base. And if you've ever been by a fighter jet, when they're landing and they're close to, to the ground, everything shakes. Way more than your, your typical WestJet commercial airliner. These things make everything shake and rumble. Anyways, it started to become a bit of a challenge for the residents. I found this so interesting. But what they ended up doing, the military, the U.S. military, they put this massive banner um, up right close to the community where the, the, the planes were flying in. And they put it up in huge words so that everybody could see. And it said this, I love this, pardon our noise, it's the sound of freedom. And I think it, it uh, delayed making any changes because the perspective shifted. That the landing and the the... the landing of these planes and the flying of these planes and everything that was going on within that base, all that noise, all of that action, all of that hustle and bustle that was taking place in that community were the sounds of freedom for the U.S., for America, for the world. I absolutely love that. I wanted to share that with you, just to give you an understanding that our sounds, our voices, our, our, our intentional praise towards God, it changes things. It makes a difference. It brings freedom to the captives. It opens eyes. It brings sight. It brings hope. It brings new understanding, new revelation to people when we intentionally move our hearts towards passionate, life-filled, uh, life-centered, filled with grace and love and care for each person that's around us. 
it makes a difference. It brings sound, a sound of freedom for the world. Secondly, God wants us to worship him with our attention, with our mind. The verse that I see here that's so relatable is, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be the change from the inside out. That's the message version. Fix your eyes and attention on God. The result will be that you'll be a change from the inside out. God wants us to worship him with our attention. We become that which we worship. Leon, you can come on up as we close here this morning. Thirdly is this, that God wants us to worship him with our abilities, with our strength. With all that he has put inside us, each of us has something to offer. He has something to, that he's put deep within us that we can re then return to him with our lives, with our emotions, with our hearts, with our actions, with our thoughts. He wants us to bring back that worship to him with everything that he's put inside us, our abilities and our strength. Hebrews 13 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. For the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and share with others. For with such sacrifice, God is pleased. He is pleased. Our act of obedience is worship to God, period. When we look at the affection and our attention and our abilities, I believe every single one in this room can relate to this. And all of us can take who, of, of who we are and move towards being a part of building and refining and developing a reputation here at CLA that is so full of life, so full of love, so full of patience and grace for people, for each other, for those that we've yet to meet that will walk through these doors, that will walk into our lives, into our homes, into our world, that one day, because of your intentionality and because of your love and your passion that comes from within, that one day they will too say yes to surrendering to Jesus. I believe that day for some will be this Easter weekend in a month from now. And the reason we start, and I started this series with this posture of worship and relating it to Palm Sunday is because it is so foundational. And if we could think about these things over the weeks ahead, Think about how this relates and who God is speaking to your heart about. Who he is asking you to invest in at a deeper level over these weeks ahead. Who he's asking you to, to maybe invite to an Easter weekend. It might not look 
just like that specifically, but this might be a moment for you where the posture that you have carried for some in your life, you're seeing it through a whole new lens right now where God is reminding you and highlighting in your life right now that you are the answer to bringing one, two, a whole family towards an understanding and relationship with God. You are the catalyst for that moment in one's life. I can't stop thinking about this even in my life and what God has been showing me these last few days. Being so focused in on making sure that I don't allow this next month just to come and go, but that I lean in and say, God, who is it that you want me to pursue? Who is it that you want me to, to consider as one that is right on the cusp of entering into your kingdom? I get emotional just thinking about it because I believe all of us as a, as a combined effort and initiative towards just being aware and being present and being available to hear what God is saying and to be obedient to his words and to his voice. That many, maybe just maybe, might find life through Jesus for the very first time in this season ahead. I don't know, but that excites me. Anyone else? Church, I pray that the passion within will be authentic, will be full of so much that maybe you didn't even know you had in you to give and to care for the people that are in your life. But we are, we're there as a church. I believe God has moved us towards being ready for breakthrough in this area of mission, not making people projects at all, but just being mindful that maybe all of these relationships that you have found over this last season, through the COVID season, that God has just put them in your life for this moment to finally introduce them to your Savior. Something to think about something that I want all of us to be praying into, praying for those that we love in our life. Let's bow our heads as we close. Jesus, I ask you for your wisdom. Lord, would you wake us up in the middle of the night with a burden for those that desperately need to experience your love? Would you, would you highlight in our days, as we're going through our days, those that are they're on the cusp, they're just really waiting for an invitation. They're, they're, they're desperately looking for answers to all of that they've experienced over these last few years. They're desperately desiring for a way out of the, the pain and the depression, the anxiety. And God, we have that answer. That answer is you. That answer is relationship with you. That answer is surrendering 
our lives to you so that you can take that place at the center of who we are. So God, over these weeks ahead, I pray that all of us, the passion within would become more real than ever before. And we claim today, we agree together for many people, many, many people, those in our life that we love, that we, that we are in relationship with, would experience you for the very first time over the course of this Easter season and through this next year ahead. I call them forth into your kingdom in Jesus' name. I pray for heart, softened hearts, for divine appointments, for experiences that go beyond just the ordinary into something supernatural. And that's, that's because of our obedience, because of our passion, because of our, our pivoting towards knowing your heart more than we ever had before. I ask for these things in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Thank you.